Well, hey, friends, and welcome wherever you might be joining us from, your kitchen, your living room, I don't know, wherever that device is or that TV that you're watching from here in Maryland or around the world. Really glad you're here. I'm really excited about today's message. I feel like it's so important, and I, I hope it will fill you with some hope and encouragement as well. I remember back to when um, my daughter was in high school, and she came home, and she had seen her first fight in the hallway. She was super excited, like, Dad, I saw a fight today. I was like, really? Tell me about it. She's like, oh, it was crazy. These girls, they were grabbing each other by the hair, and they were yelling, and they were kind of slamming each other against the locker, giving each other the business. And I, she said it was kind of like, kind of exciting, but kind of pathetic all at the same time. And then she said um, it broke up when a teacher came by and kind of grabbed them and kind of said, you knuckleheads, and pull them apart and said, now knock it off. And Ellie said that the weirdest thing, Dad, is that they're both on the same sports team at our school. They're supposed to be friends. There's kind of a cringe factor, isn't there? When you see people that are supposed to be on the same team going at it. And this, this kind of describes the scenario that is playing out today and it's all too common in Christian circles, unfortunately, where it's becoming kind of increasingly acceptable to kind of enter into the fray and be antagonistic and fight, go at it with one another. Christians are fighting with other Christians, especially across the political aisle. If there's one word to describe our whole country right now at the eight-month mark or whatever we are into 2020, it might be the word divided. We're the, we're the divided states of America. I mean, I remember 9-11 really well. I remember leading through that here at Mountain. And, you know, that was a crisis that we all felt nationally, but it pulled us together generally. But not this time around, right? We were the divided states of America, and we're feeling the division in, in families and in, in communities and it's dividing schools and churches and our whole country. I mean, we're divided over everything. We're divided over politics. We're divided over Trump or Biden. We're divided over CNN or Fox. We're divided over race. We're divided over standing or kneeling. We're divided over whether schools should be open or closed, churches should be open or closed, whether we should be in person or online, whether we should have football or no football, whether, whether we should get our chicken sandwiches at Chick-fil-A or Popeye's. I mean, we, we can't even agree about masks. And we have an enemy, the devil, who's laughing and rejoicing the whole time because if he can divide God's people, the church of Jesus Christ, then he knows he's one. Why? Because when the church is united, my friends, we are an unstoppable force for good. Unstoppable. But we're only as strong as we are united. I saw, I saw an article in a Christian magazine not long ago that was very critical of President Trump. He said he's not really fit for office. And here's, here's something I know. I know there's a whole bunch of Christians who agree with that idea. I've heard from some of you. You might agree that in that article, as it was saying things, you know, he's morally bereft and character matters. He's an embarrassment and the way he uh, treats Christians and women and creates dissent and so forth. They felt that this was, this was antithetical to the Christian faith. But, you know, predictably, a whole bunch of other Christians shot back and said, well, he may not be perfect, but he's done a lot of good. 
And I know also there's a bunch of Christians listening to me right now who agree with that perspective. I've heard from you too. Saying things like, well, he's not a paragon of virtue, I realize, but his policies are things that are more in line with the values of our faith. I mean, his country's falling apart, and there are, there are, he's finally willing to push back against some things that are very dangerous. We need Supreme Court appointments, and we need to do things about abortion and other things that conservatives really matter. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop right there because I do not want to stir anything up. I just want to point out and keep it real that there are very strong feelings. I probably stirred up some strong feelings in you. And that we do have Christians on both sides to illustrate this divide that exists across the aisle and to see how easily it can infiltrate the church. And when that happens, it's not just our nation that's divided, but we become weakened as a church. And the church is supposed to be the one thing that can model how unity can happen how good and beautiful it is, Psalm 133 says, when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And we're supposed to be a model of that to the world. But sometimes we're just like those, those kids in the hallway, grabbing each other's hair and banging each other against the lockers. And I feel like Jesus wants to come along and grab us and say, well, you knuckleheads, knock it off. You're supposed to be on the same team. There's so much at stake. It hurts our witness and our example and it reduces the effectiveness of the cause of Christ through us. If, if the only thing you know about my family, let's say, is that my family, my parents argue all the time. You can hear them through the walls as you walk by on the sidewalk. Or, and you know my brother is like real obnoxious and always making insulting remarks. And my sister, she's just weird and loud and in your face. And then I say, hey, want to come over to my house for dinner? My family and I would love to have you. <laughs> what are you going to say? I mean, you're going to be like, ah... Hmm, gee, I think, oh shoot, I have to check the freshness dates on my dairy products tonight. I'm busy, I'm sorry, I can't make You're going to do anything you can do to not show up at that party. And that's one of the problems we got with the church right now is that we're just making ourselves kind of unattractive because nobody's interested in joining in the fray with our intertribal warfare. We of all people are supposed to be shown a different way so that people could be attracted to the Christ that we say we represent. So we got a problem. I hope you can agree. And we need some help figuring out the separation of church and hate. We've been looking at these kind of postures and practices that really come from the life of Jesus and the teaching of Scripture. We're, we're talking about how important it is for us to sort of really just be a gift to the divided states of America by in God's house, doing it differently. Like, one, we remember our identity, who we are, and we act like it. And number two, we behave with civility because we got to learn to be kind without being hateful. And remember, not all anger is righteous. And third, we're going to demonstrate humility. Like, we can just understand that we can disagree without being so disagreeable sometimes. And then we're going to strive for unity and, and then be known for charity, which is a fancy word for love. We're going to talk a little more today about how to strive for unity because it's super important and give each other some practical help on that. Maybe you heard the old joke about um, the guy that was stranded by himself on a remote island for 20 years. And finally, the rescuers roll up and they, they find the guy and they, they, they see that on the island there, he had built three structures. And they ask him, well, what are those three structures? He says, oh, well, you know, it points to the first one. He goes, well, that's my house. Where I, it's where I live. Oh, yes, well, what about that one, one over there? He says, oh, well, that's my church. Yeah, I, I take my faith very, very seriously. They said, well, 
well, what about that other structure over there? He goes, oh, well, yeah, that's where I used to go to church, you know, before the split. So uh, the, the, the reason that joke works is because there's kind of a stinging truth to it. Because Christians are famous for splitting and uh, leaving in a huff and causing division and fighting amongst ourselves. Apparently, even if we're all by ourselves, we'd even do the same. I want to show you some stuff from Scripture. I want to expose the heart of God about this issue. And in, in, in a way, I think Scripture hopes it will break our heart in the process. I want to show you a prayer that Jesus prayed first. You know, there are certain kinds of prayers that people pray sometimes and they're just kind of perfunctory, you know, you're just kind of like, I don't know, you're just saying the words or, you know, going through the motions. But there are other kind of prayers that are raw and real and they just kind of gush out of you as you're pleading with God, just like you're just begging the Father. And this is one of those prayers for Jesus. He's at the end of his earthly ministry and he's, he's getting ready to complete his earthly work and descend back to be with the Father and, and leave us to finish the mission. He's getting ready to send His Spirit so that we can have His power in our midst. And, and before He leaves, He's praying to the Father. He's pouring out His heart in one of these earnest prayers. It's like a chance we get to eavesdrop on Jesus as He prays privately. We get to look at His diary of prayer. It's found in the Bible in John chapter 17. In verse 15, He just says, Father, keep Him safe. Don't let the evil one get at him. That's what Jesus prays for us. Keep him safe from the evil one. Protect him. What's he afraid the evil one's going to do? What do we need protection from? Well, the answer comes in what he prays for. His most ardent prayer is that we would not be driven apart from one another. Just like he and the Father could never be separated, he longs to see us not only joined to the Father, but so tightly joined to each other in a kind of Christian bond that nothing would tear us apart, nothing. Jesus prays for our unity because he knows the enemy is going to come and try to create division. Verse 11, he says, Now I'm departing, but they're staying, and I'm coming. Now, Father, protect them by the power of your name so that they will be united just as we are. Jesus' deep prayer is for our unity. Look again at verse 20 and 21. He says, I'm not just praying for the disciples who are here right now. He says, I'm talking about all of them who are going to follow after me for, for as long as it takes. Like he's talking about you and me and the church today when he says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I, Father, are one, so that the world will believe that you sent me. That's Jesus' prayer. So when we sow seeds of division, when we knowingly make remarks that are going to offend someone or drive someone away or create a rift in the body of Christ, when we just set off fireworks or pour gas on the fire to blow things up, refuse to listen, won't want to discuss, just like, oh, I'm done, I'm going to cancel you as a brother or sister in Christ, we're being influenced by the evil one more than we're being influenced by the Spirit of Jesus, plain and simple. Verse 23 says, Jesus is still praying. He says, Father, may they, he's talking about us, may we experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. 
The world will never know the love of Jesus from a divided, bickering church. The power of the message of Jesus through us comes down to the unity Jesus creates among us. It really matters to God. And so whenever we sow seeds of division among believers, it's important. Now let me trace something else. Did you know that Jesus takes this so personally? He takes it. The church isn't your church or mine to mess with as if it's some toy and it doesn't matter if we create division, if we create a rift in our group or we sort of just stop you know, hanging around other Christians because we disagree with them politically. We don't, we don't really have that option. As the early church was getting off the ground, right? It was just a, this fledgling sort of new Jesus movement and the Jewish Pharisees did not approve and were very interested in stamping out this upstart movement. And there was a very zealous man named Saul who felt he was on a mission from God, who was outright attacking the church, killing Christians right and left, creating fear and dissension, doing all he could to weaken the church. Acts chapter 9 says he's, he's threatening to kill a bunch more and he's on his way up to a town called Damascus. And while he's there, God intervenes and visits him on the road and, and just says, almost to say that's enough. And he spoke to him, knocked him off his horse, and the Bible says he was blinded. He thought he saw everything crystal clear. He was, on a, he was a warrior for God, but God had to blind him so he could open his eyes. God spoke to him. Verse 4, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Catch that word, me? Because Paul probably thought to himself, Saul probably thought, I'm not persecuting you, God. I'm, I'm just killing Christians. I'm just dividing. All I'm doing is tearing up the church. And so he asked in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? And the voice replied, I am Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. I know you think you're just tearing up the church, but you're tearing me up. And friends, we've got we to take that so seriously. Jesus says, whenever we do anything that injures or divides the church, we're, we're attacking him. And I think he takes it personally. So, it doesn't matter how ramped up you are about your political viewpoints. When you present them as if they're gospel in a way you know is going to create division and weakening the church, when we're entering all this sideways energy that we know is going to be divisive, you may think you're doing something righteous and doing God a favor. Jesus has other news for us. Sometimes he wants to say, I think, do I need to blind you to open your eyes? You're persecuting me. Unity is really that important. This same guy, Saul, became Paul, the apostle. And he's the one that now is burdened. And he's on a mission to bring unity in the body of Christ. He writes letters to churches in Corinth and Ephesus where they're super divided. And we think we have divisions today. They had just the same political and ethnic and racism and classism and sexism, all this stuff going on. And in the middle of that, take a look at just a couple of different short passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 10, this church was so divided and he says, I appeal to you, I'm begging you now, as brothers and sisters, your family, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the basis for what he's about to say, I beg you to agree with one another in all, in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. Divisions is the Greek word schizma, schizma. We get the word schism, division. I don't want there to be any ripping or tearing apart among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. It's only going to happen when we remember who we are, brothers and sisters, on the basis 
of our unity in Christ. Perfectly united. That word in Greek is a word that, that would be used to mend like a broken fishing net or a surgeon who fixes a broken bone. This is a, it's a word that means healing. I, I, I beg that you would just be a healing force in the division around you. That's our role as Christians, to be a healing balm, not add more fuel to the device of fire. Paul says again over to another group of Christians with very similar division, words that I think could just be so powerful for us. Will you listen to this? Listen to the Word of God just so fresh for us today in the divided states of America. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through, I'm going to read six verses, listen. Therefore I, prisoner, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you've been called by God. There's your identity. Remember who you are. So what? What does it mean? Well, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. These are the keys to unity. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort, remember that word, to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. You're not united in your politics, not united in any other, but by the Spirit of God, you're going to put some effort forward and then keep yourself bound together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. We're all going to end up together one day. we got to act like it together down here. How is that possible? Verse 5 and 6 says, When you remember there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, who's over all, in all, living and through all. That's the vision. I want to come back to that word, put forth effort. Some old translations say strive for unity. In other words, it's a reminder. This isn't easy. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it, wouldn't we? It's not easy, but he says strive for it. Can I just ask you today, will you join me in helping this church? And wherever you are, if you're around the world or not part of Mountain, will you join me in striving for unity so a watching divided world can see what it looks like? Will you join me in that? striving for unity. It's hard sometimes. It's, you know, one of, the, one of the things that'll help us here is I think sometimes we have to, we'll get better at unity if we stop um, kind of settling for uniformity, okay? Uniformity isn't the same thing as unity. Uniformity just means everybody is the same. Um, agreement, though, on every detail, that's not really unity. That's kind of Uniformity, that's conformity. Because unity can handle diversity. In fact, if you don't have a little diversity, you don't have unity. You're back to uniformity, just sameness. The, the New Testament models for us a command to have unity. And it doesn't mean that we're going to agree on everything and be the same in every way. It means that we're going to have a stronger bond in Christ that produces unity in the midst of diversity. And that's a picture the world needs to see. It needs to start with you and me in our small groups and in our lives and in our families. If in the church we're just kind of held together by our uniformity, like we just happen to be together because we're politically like-minded or socioeconomically the same or we're ethnically on the, you know, the same, we look and act and pretty much have all the same experiences and backgrounds and all. If that's really all we are, then the real glue of our fellowship is really just our sameness, our political preferences, our cultural homogeneity, 
you could say, rather than being one through Christ in the bond of love. But the tie that is supposed to bind us is, is that we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Look at the way Jesus pulled together his first group of disciples together. Um, it's so fascinating to me. You know, we think of the disciples kind of being 12 guys. We think, well, they're all sort of the same. They're sort of buddies, you know, in the videos we see. Maybe they're all chums. But, you know, they were very diverse. I mean, just we had guys that were, you know, went to work in a suit and tie every day. We had guys that were out there, you know, with, with, with scum on their fingers from fish guts. And more importantly, they had big political differences. Did you know that? There was in Jesus' day um, a group of radicals who deeply resented the oppression that the Jews were living under, under this Roman domination in their land. And that, there were, that, the group was called the Zealots. They were zealous. And they had as their goal overthrowing the Roman government by force. They saw it as a wicked oppression and they felt like revolt and violence was a viable alternative and they were always looking to start some kind of coup. They were waiting for their moment, seething under the Roman government, ready to grab a knife and sort of anytime you could stab a, a soldier on the sly. And guess what? Jesus called one of those radicals to be one of his 12 disciples. His name was Simon, Simon the Zealot. There were also, at that same time, other Jews who had worked a deal with the Romans. They'd sidled up to them in their view, and they had kind of sold their soul to the Roman government. They were working for the Roman government, and worse than that, they were working for the Roman government by levying and collecting heavy taxes. They were considered absolute sellouts and a disgrace to the faith, and a lot of Jews hated them for their dirty work that they were doing for the enemy. And guess what? Jesus called one of those guys to be one of his 12 disciples. His name was Matthew, Simon Matthew the tax collector. You think that's an accident? That Jesus wasn't aware of those differences? Or do you think it's possible that he wanted from the very, very beginning to show what unity in the midst of diversity looks like when he chose a, a Trump supporter and a Biden supporter? <laughs> when, he, when he picked a member of Antifa and a member of the NRA and said, follow me together, you guys can be friends and ride together on, on the bus when we take our road trips. I don't think it's an accident at all. Friends, Jesus' people back then and still today are not held together by our political alliances, and we must not be driven apart by them either. We're brought together because of Jesus, because of the one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And it's not, it's, it's not, because we agree on everything with politics or, or our music style or the way we dress or which tax bracket or the color of our skin or whether, what our opinion is of Rush Limbaugh or, or whether we think the Vikings stink more than the Ravens or, or whether God had an off day when he made cats. We, don't, we can disagree on all that stuff. It's really okay. What the world says, if you don't agree with me, I'm out of here. I cut you off. I cancel you. 
That's what happens. I'm going to go hang out with other people who live in my echo chamber. I'm going to get on social media and let those algorithms just feed me the sort of voices that I already agree with, and I'll just stay right here. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you follow me, you're stepping out of that little bubble into a world that says we're brought together on a higher plane in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, you are brothers and sisters. You're children of God. Now, please act like it. Act like it. We have an old mantra I want to remind you of. A lot of you know this. It simply is, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Say it again with me. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. Right? What it means is there are some things that are so important, we've just got to be together on those. They're of the essence of our faith. In essentials, unity, but there's a host of other things. We call them non-essentials because they're not of the essence of our faith, and we've got to hold those loosely and even allow differences of opinions. You and I can disagree on things, and when we get to heaven, that's when you'll find out that I was right. <laughs> All joking aside, if we both go to heaven based on our faith in Christ, and that's where we find out who's right, then whatever we're arguing about, we don't need to argue about it and divide down here about it, Right? no matter how passionately we hold our political viewpoints. Hear me now, they are non-essential matters. They're not of the essence of our faith. Now, make no mistake, many issues are extremely important. They're very important. They matter biblically. They impact the world greatly. They can be tied in deeply with our pursuit of justice and our ability to bring about the kingdom of God. They're no small matters. But no matter how significant a political issue may be, it's not of the essence of our faith. It's getting it right is not on the entrance exam to heaven. It is not the sort of basis of our unity in Christ. It is not. It mustn't either be the litmus test of whether someone is a real Christian in your eyes or whether you're going to be around them anymore. I don't care if they are my brother or sister in Christ. I, I'm done with them. No. Friends, I know it's tricky. It's, it's, it's not easy what I'm saying. That's why we got to strive for it. Jesus said it would be work. But that's how Satan has been attacking us. Because he gets us so worked up and we feel, because it's important, we feel justified in being divisive because we tell ourselves we're standing for truth. Can I just say, if your truth doesn't smell like love, it's not God's truth. If it still leaves the church weakened, it's not God's truth. If you speak about politics in a way that injures the unity of the Christ and the Christ's body, it's not God's truth. So we don't have to ask all the time and always just press, press, press to know who's right. The question isn't who's right when, when Christians are disagreeing. The question is, which category is this? Is this essential? Is this about Jesus and what he's done on the cross? Or is this a non-essential, as important as it might be? And if it goes in that second category, and you remember you're not going to get to heaven based on your view on it, to put it bluntly, God's not a Republican or a Democrat. If God agrees with your politics most of the time, it's pretty clear you've made a God in your image. Say it another way. We've got brothers and sisters in Africa who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They have a very different culture, a lot of different practices, different version of Christianity, but you know what? We're one, and I love celebrating that when I go to Africa to see them. 
We have brothers and sisters in Christ who live in India and they have a very different culture and a bunch of traditions and backgrounds and beliefs. But you know what? We're one in Christ. And in the same way, we have brothers and sisters all across this country, all across this county, all across the political spectrum. And they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's time we start accepting Christians not just across the globe, but across the aisle. It's time we start accepting Christians who vote and think differently than you might. Our nation is deeply divided over politics. We simply can't regurgitate and reflect that same division in the family of God. We've, we've been given a job to do. And we're not going to get it done if we're spending half our energy fighting with each other. Jesus is like, knock it off. You're on the same team, and this team has a job to do. We've got a battle to fight, and the enemy is not each other. It's not other believers, and our enemy isn't unbelievers. Our spiritual enemy is the one who's trying to divide us. So don't be a sucker. Don't get played and get sucked in to being part of the division that's happening. Friends, we're brought together, and we can be the best of friends through a special tie that binds us, precious, precious bond between believers in Christ that's bigger than any of the divides on earth. It's beautiful, and we're going to enjoy it in heaven, and we're supposed to try to strive for it here. I'm, going to, I just want to, I'm just going to give you an exercise here that if we were all together in one place, it'd be way cooler, but I want you to do it with me wherever you're watching from. I'm going to give you, I'm going to mention several important issues. These are important issues. And I want you to think of maybe just the one or two that really jump out to you because they're so important to you, all right? I'm going to list them right now. And you can, just, you can just say it. You can maybe say it out loud. When I say the one, you repeat it uh, because I'm going to mention some like climate change, like, you know, concerned that we do something and you think it's a hoax and fake science or gun control policy or the right to bear arms, race relations or immigration or military spending or foreign policy or the economy or the creation of jobs, or taxes, size of government, or education, or marriage issues, or human rights, or supporting businesses, or abortion. That's enough maybe to have you pick one of those. Can you just remember that list and pull one that, that I, I'm sure you agree is very important and a lot is at stake and we care about this stuff. I'm going to ask you on the count of three, right where you are, maybe you're with some others, I want you to just say it out loud with conviction, all right? You say your issue on the count of three. Ready? You got it in mind? Here we go. One, two, three. Here's what I know. I know that all over where this uh, service is being listened to, it was a sort of mess, a cacophonous sort of lots of voices going lots of different directions because lots of different words we're being said maybe with some vehemence even. But now, I want to remind us that God gives us a great gift. He gives us a unifying power and a drawing force that transcends all parties and cultures and classes and creeds and colors. The very core essence of our faith. So I'm going to ask you to say another word. On the count of three, I want you to say out loud like you mean it, the name that is above all names. I'm going to ask you to, to shout the name that unites the name of our Lord and Savior before whom we will all stand one day, before whom every knee, the Bible says, will bow. Trump's knees, Biden's knees, and everyone else's knees will bow. And I want you to declare the truth 
as a declaration of your faith and to say out loud the one name that is above all names on the count of three. Say it with me, will you? One, two, three, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the source of our strength, the basis of our unity. The answer to the divided states of America through his people. We're always asking Jesus to answer our prayers. This is one time he's hoping you'll answer his by striving for unity so that we might be one. 